Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about how to think about your time. Uh, I love this topic. I just, it's like the one non renewable resource. Right. And it, it expires daily. <laughs> it's got a very short <laughs> shelf life. It's yeah. like, right? It's like it doesn't come back. It's, it's wild. It's sort of unique in that sense. Well, and, and we've all had that experience where you sit back and you go, oh, my God, that's an hour of my time I can't get back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully every it's only I'm, an hour, not like a half a day. Yeah. Every time I'm on the phone with AT&T about something. Mm, hmm Classic. <laughs> so, yeah, this has been this this sort of topic, this theme has been bubbling up. Uh, I did a, a I did an interview recently where it was, there was a lot of conversation around timesheets because it was a show for agencies and it's really not different. It's maybe more complicated when you have employees and you think about time and timesheets, even if you're not billing for the time. Um, so this has been on our minds lately and thought we would talk about it because it's not like, it's not like I never think about my time. It's not like you never think about your time, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a thing. It's just, you know, in, in my universe, it's just not something that you would use to set your prices. That's the big difference. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like when I was in doing big firm consulting, everything was about the timesheet. Like mm -hmm. it was it, it was insidious. It was embedded in the culture in so many ways. And I don't think about it that way anymore, but I do still think about it. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes I'll sit there and say, okay, so how much time did I spend on that this last month? What did, was that, you know, was that good? Did I spend too much time? Did, and right. Yeah. It's like, it's hard to get completely out of your head, at least for me. Well, it's, it's our cost, right? So you can't just ignore yeah. your costs, uh, but it's, it's, it's like I said, you just don't want to be setting your price based on your cost. You want to set your prices based on the value. So yeah. I'm all for decreasing your costs to increase your profit. Yeah. So, so for, for somebody who's maybe a little bit newer to this conversation, I want to just give a quick level set, like a way to think about your time as a soloist, uh, because it's, it can be very common to confuse your revenue with your profit. So it's like all the income is yours. So it feels like, oh, I, you know, I made $250,000 last year. It's all profit. It all went to me. And it's like, well, no, not really. And, and the way to think about it is to, to ask yourself, how much would the business have left over if you didn't do anything and you hired someone as good as you to do your job for you? Then the answer is virtually always, well, there'd be no money left over. And that means that the business isn't profitable. So that, that time that you spent, uh, is a cost. Your salary is a cost of the business. So I, I just wanted to start there in case anybody had, isn't already thinking of it like that and then think, okay, now with that said, how do you think about how you spend your time? If it's just you and you're a soloist and you recognize that your salary is a cost to the business and not profit, then it does make sense to decrease that cost as much as possible by decreasing the number of hours that you work. So I, I think about it, right? Even though I don't set prices based on it, I think about my time because I want my costs to be as low as possible. So my profit margins are as high as possible. I don't think it's but, evil. But what you don't do, I don't think, is you don't say, oh my God, I cannot take a vacation because if I do, I'm going to lose, you know, 40 hours or 30 hours or 60 hours of revenue. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I did an interview last week on Ditching Hourly with a guy who he had had been in a career, you know, was a, had a full-time job for like almost 20 years, went solo, did it hourly, and instantly felt that. He was like, instantly, I felt like playing with my kids was, was me losing money. Mm-hmm. And going on vacation was me losing money. Everything was like, everything was like the cost of going to Disney plus every hour that I was there was another 150 bucks I lost. Yeah. And it, he said it, it just was instantaneous. He said he noticed it immediately. He wasn't expecting it. He just all of a sudden he was like, oh, taking any kind of break is me losing money. Mm-hmm. And it's talked to another guy recently on also on Ditching Hourly who is a law professor. And he, I, you know, I, I believe that it's true. I didn't check it. But he said that that uh, there was a recent mental health study in the professions. And it's like lawyers by a long shot are have the worst mental health, mm-hmm. you know, on average across all of the professions. And in his humble opinion, it was 100% because of the pressures of of being billable and, you know, climbing up the sort of corporate ladder or the legal ladder. And the way to do that is to be the most billable, bring in the most mm-hmm. business. And he's yeah. talking about partners. Without write-offs. Yeah, right, right. Without Because you're always going to eat some hours. And he said... He said, he tells his law students, you know, it's like you look at a partner who's bringing in $2 million of business a year and it goes everywhere, but, but to them, (laughs) not really making that, I mean, they're doing well, but it's like, geez, why, why have this anyway? Okay. So obviously I'm going to just keep going and going on time, but, um, it, it's a thing. It is your cost. So you need to make sure that you aren't losing money. Right, because in the, in the model right. where you imagine hiring your clone, you could actually lose money, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Even though you know your clone will will make a salary, but the business could lose money. And I feel like that's uh, that's how soloists, when they first start out, can trick themselves into thinking that the business is fine when really it's not fine. Yeah, and I think when you're first starting out, it is important to really think about your time. And to track it in some way, and I don't mean like what I did when I first started, which was track it in 15-minute increments. You do not need to do that. Um, But to really think about how you're spending your time, because I think we tend to, um, to underestimate how long certain things take and things like, uh, let's say if you decide to design your own website, right, Mm -hmm. that could eat hours and days and days of time or program your own code for something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, if you're a coder, that might make sense. But if you're not, that's probably not going to be the best use of your time. So (laughs) step one, learn React. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's, I think there's there's some benefit in in tracking that time. But I think once you find your business model for this phase of your business, and it'll change, you know, whether you're just starting or you've been doing it for a while or you're kind of like a seasoned pro, is once you find that um, that zone, then you, you probably don't need to pay so much attention to it unless something starts to feel off. Like your spidey sense will start tingling when things are going off the rails. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. So since I've been talking about, you know, I've been sort of, talking anti-timesheet on social media and, and elsewhere. And there's a bunch of people who who reply back and they're like, but, you know, but I like tracking my time. It's fun. I don't base my, my prices on it. And I just, you know, don't you think, you know, what get me- gets measured gets improved and all of this stuff. And I'm like, on the one hand, you know, my, my 
sort of question back is, well, what decisions do you make based on all of this time tracking that you're doing? And you'll get replies like, well, you know, sometimes I wonder if a particular project was profitable or how much time I put into creating this thing. And I'm like, so some, since sometimes you wonder, you're going to track your time every hour of the day, all week, because sometimes you might wonder if it was profitable or not profitable to do this thing. And I'm like, and, and I understand that. I understand that feeling, but like you just said, don't you just know? <laughs> don't you just, can't you just feel <laughs> that that took way too long? Or, you know, if you were going to do it again, because the thing is like, what's the point of tracking all of this, you know, measuring all of this, if you're not going to use it to make a decision. So like yeah. when the next thing comes around, like, let's say that, you know, the like, oh, I, I worked on this project way longer than I expected to. It's like, all right, well, you know that, like, don't you just know that it was, it was not worth can you just feel that it was not worth it like i don't know maybe maybe i'm deluding myself well i think it there are people who kind of put their heads down and do the work it's almost like they're they're carrying over a worker bee mentality mm-hmm. like oh i just need to do this i need to plow through it i need to get it done um and i think that mentality can result in in the not feeling it until it's all over right but i think part of it too is at least for me, is I could be doing the exact same thing for two clients, but I could be having a whole lot more fun with one client profile than another, mm-hmm. right? And so that becomes, it's not really about just about the time, it's about the happiness factor yeah. or the impact factor or both, you know? And so, and so then, you know, client profile A gets a, yes, I'm happy to work with you. Here's the price, let's go. Client B gets a, eh, I don't think we're a fit. I don't right. think this is going to work. Right. And it's not it's not this quantitative number of hours thing necessarily. It's it I mean that might be part of it like some people are just time vampires. But you don't need I just I just don't I just don't see the need to to constantly track your cuz this is people saying that they track all of their hours spent working every week always. Mhm. And yeah. you know, I might do that once a year, you know, like when I do the 10 day system challenge in January, I might track my activities for a day or two with the, with the group just for fun and see, you know, like if there's things that could be done more efficiently or whatever. I think that makes sense from time to time. It's I like just, an audit when the way you describe it versus right. a, an ongoing practice. Right. Yeah. Even in, even in uh, the effective executive, Peter Drucker talks about like this, like doing this, it's almost like an audit, like you said, or a cleanse, like where, where, in ex, you know, part of the, the beginning of the process is tracking all of your time for like, I think it's three or four weeks and then stopping <laughs> and making decisions <laughs> and delegating based on what you found. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not a, uh, I mean, by all means, if, if, you know, you're listening and you're like, no, it's, it's, I, 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 I love tracking my time. It really helps me make decisions. Then, Great. I, I just, but the Go question I'd ask myself is like, are you actually making decisions based on it? Or is it more like a, sometimes I wonder, and it's nice to have the data. And it's like, well, all of that time that you spent tracking your time, you could have been thinking about creating value, which is the, the opportunity cost of focusing too much on your time is that it's time that you're not focused on something else. And, and it does kind of indicate a mindset that is not a value creation mindset. It does kind of indicate that to me. It's not necessarily yeah. true, but it's like obsessing over your costs. It shouldn't be that necessary. So like the, the another situation, like this is not what we're talking about 
or at least not yet, but with employees and people get really, really, they're like, well, yeah, I don't track my time, but my employees have to, I need to know that they're doing with it. And it's like, it's like, all right, well, isn't, if what gets measured gets improved, then I hope you're also measuring things like customer satisfaction and morale and value creation and, and not just employee utilization. Because it's a cost focus. It's like a COO kind of efficiency thing. It's also a thing. control issue. Yeah. If I'm paying for your salary, you better be working hard and delivering. Yeah, but it's not even working hard. It's working long. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's not qualitative at all. No, I, I agree. And it's it's about, it, I'm, it's kind of like this conversation happening in the media right now with CEOs saying, you're coming back to the office I need to count your nose. And employees are saying, nope, I really don't want to. I'd like to come in one or two days a week just to brainstorm with colleagues and you know see them and have a cup of coffee. But mm-hmm. no, I'm not interested in doing two-hour commutes just so you can count my nose. <laughs> right. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. But but before we leave the topic of, of the soloist, I just want to point out there's a couple things that can happen when you uh when you well when you bill by the hour or you track your time and you're using it for pricing um and i'm thinking of of systems like like freshbooks where it's basically a time tracking and then billing system mm-hmm. and every time you put some time in there you see that as money you're like oh mm-hmm. i want to go over there i want to put it in a half an hour cuz i did this yeah, and i earned this uh, yeah, exactly. And at the beginning of your business, that's kind of healthy in a way, right? And I, you know, when you're first starting, if you're billing by the hour because you're freelancing and you know, and you're doing this, you know, great. It gives you that little kaching. It makes you happy, fine. But it's not something you want to get addicted to because mm-hmm. it is not a sustainable way to grow a business. Yeah, the the irony, since you mentioned FreshBooks, the irony of FreshBooks having time tracking is that Mike McDermott, who founded FreshBooks, is against it. And I, I interviewed him one time and I was like, I'm like, you wrote an entire book against the idea of hourly billing. And why did you build it into FreshBooks? And he's like, because everyone wanted it. <laughs> I was yeah. like, well, that's a good answer. <laughs> but I just, I just the ultimate irony. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah and starting out, you know, you've got a, like a million things you need to learn on the fly. It's and billing by the hours. I mean, let's face it, it's less risky, but you know, no risk, no reward. So once you, once you're good at what you do, billing for your time is leaving money on the table for sure. And oh, yeah. all the other lifestyle problems associated and with plus, it. And like, plus get all that stuff out of your head. Like you're not tracking hours. You're, you're giving them a fee that they pay up front mm-hmm. and then, and you know, then you go with the flow with the project. If you, yeah. If, if if it doesn't um, support the project, you say no. It's right. it's an entirely different, very freeing way of running your business. Whether you have a, you know a flat price or you have maybe you have a a a, a progressive price. You know, part A is this much, part B is this much, part C is this much, and they pay as as you go. But you still you're by decoupling your price from the kaching of the half hour <laughs> billing, you free yourself. It's an yeah. entirely different mindset. Right. So, okay, but let's just assume that folks listening don't need to, they drunk the Kool-Aid on hourly billing is nuts yeah. and, and they are giving some kind of fixed fees, maybe based on cost, maybe not, but they're fixed. And, and they're thinking like, what, you know, shouldn't I track my time or what's the point of tracking my time? And, and in my mind, I, I, I just think it's a thing that you, 
would do periodically like as an audit and be like, oh, for a couple of weeks, I'm going to track my time mm-hmm. and then I'm going to look back on it and say like, and then be- because I need to make a decision, right? So like uh, excellent book, How to Measure Anything by Douglas Hubbard. He talks about, he starts the book off by defining what a measurement is and and you you can't take a, a useful measurement without knowing what decision you're trying to make based on the measurement because without knowing what decision you don't know how how accurate to make the measurement how how fine-tuned it needs to be right so like like if you if if you asked me how tall i was i would say six one but i'm not exactly six one but it's close enough for like what you whatever purpose you might ask me that question right but if it was like if if you if i was assembling a greenhouse and somebody was like yeah give me a give me a piece of lumber it's about six one like that's not going to work it needs to be much more exact than that for the thing to not fall over so the exactness of the measurement is dictated by the reason the decision that you're going to make the thing you're trying to do and you can you can if you, assuming that you don't have razor thin profit margins then close enough is close enough with the time tracking so you could you could mm-hmm. just go for a few weeks track your time in service of a decision that you're going to make like uh, should I start a video channel instead of just a podcast or should I, am I doing enough marketing? Maybe, you know, do I need to do more marketing? It's like, oh, if I look back, it's like, geez, I really did get sucked into client work for the past two or three weeks. And I really let it let, uh, really drop the ball with my email list, my blogging, my social media interactions or what, you know, podcast outreach. So, Sure, you know, to decide like, oh, do I need to do more marketing? Am I, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that I haven't got enough leads. Maybe it's my marketing is I'm not doing it anymore. Maybe I stopped tending to the garden and look back and be like, oh, geez, I'm getting that's what it is. I'm sucked into client work. I need to pull back from that and devote more time to something else. So for, from a resource allocation standpoint, like I totally get it, like that you would want to know what your your mm-hmm. uh, how you're spending your time. Uh, but I think obsessively tracking it is just that an obsession. Well, so let's let's move to kind of the next stage that um, people who say I'm not sure if I want to stay a soloist, I'm going to experiment with say hiring contractors. Mm-hmm. And let's say you're hiring contractors to do work as part of your projects, whether they're a mini you or they have some skill set that you don't have. Right. Yeah, and so like. I, I've seen it, and, and I did this myself um, until I got smarter in my in my first um, uh, the first business so uh, consulting business that I created, where I would contract with them based on hours, mm-hmm. and I wrapped enough around it so that I felt protected. I.e., we agreed on the project, we agreed on how many hours, we agreed that nobody gets nobody bills a client or gets paid for an hour that isn't in the plan if the plan changes we revise the plan we get approval from the client and we proceed sound mm-hmm. like high control yeah, a little <laughs> but yeah but if i were starting that today i would not do it that way at all i would negotiate a price with the consultant to do project x as we jointly define it together mm-hmm. and then I don't care how many hours they work. Right. And and I want and you know, and I want them to give me a price where they're gonna feel happy. I mean, I don't want them to be, you know, to work themselves into the ground. I want them to be happy, but I don't want to care about the hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a, a 
coaching student from years ago who has run sort of a virtual agency doing software development and he has about 10 contractors, long-term contractors who who are sort of the mini-me variety where they all have the same skill set, that same as his. Uh, but he goes out and gets the clients and then he says, you know, I, I got this feature I need built or this people need this this module built and how much can you do it for? And since there's a lot of trust going in both directions, you know, they've all been working together for a long time. Someone will say, ah, I'll build that for five grand. And he's like, great. He charges the client 10 grand or whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever the price was. And the person goes off and builds it. And he couldn't care less how many hours it takes them. Other than what you said, which is like, he doesn't want them to feel like they're losing their shirt because then they'll leave and not work with them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I worked, I worked with a guy who did that with all of it. And he had maybe 30 contractors and that's how he made the money on the spread. Right. Mm -hmm. But what was funny is he told the story about um, there because he would do the billing to the client. So the consultant didn't see the bill. Mm -hmm. And in this guy's mind, it didn't matter. Like, what difference does it make? Um, So one of his people saw the bill Mm -hmm. and realized that he'd marked him up like, I think, $75,000, something like that. And he was appalled. (laughs) And the, the owner said, why do you care? Like I, <laughs> I have the relationship. I've smoothed the way for you. You have a known um, income coming from this of say seventy five thousand. Let's say you split it fifty fifty. Like what difference does it make? And it took him like a few weeks before they were like back on track again because the guy really felt, uh, the consultant really felt kind of used and abused. It is called inequity aversion, and you can look it up, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it's also it's also employment. That particular scenario is also employee mentality, where they're completely discounting all of the effort and uh, probably years of brand yeah. building that it took to get that client in the first place. Writing multiple books, mm-hmm. being on multiple stages. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. yeah. So, but let's say you have employees and they're on salary, right? It's not a project based thing. This is a question that this is a question that I get a lot with when I'm talking to agencies who have full-time employees and they pay them monthly. You know, they've got a fixed salary and it's like it's like <clears throat> what do we track if not the time and I'm like, well, I would be tracking the customer satisfaction, making sure that the customers are happy at all times and then everything will always be fine. If the clients are always happy, they'll recommend you, they'll give you big testimonials, it'll grow your business. That's like a very important thing to have happy clients. The trail of happy clients behind you will do good things for your business. But the question of the question of how do you incentivize your pl- employees if it's not about time tracking? Wait, wait, wait. Before we go there, I just want to add something because yeah, there's 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 client satisfaction, but there's also something to be said for internal team satisfaction in larger groups. I.e., okay. you know, you could have like the 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 knuckle, basically the knuckle dragger, right? The one who isn't really providing the same level of value as other people. And those are the things that timesheets tend to tease out when you have a lot of people because nobody gives them work, so they're never busy. So as long as you have some other measures besides pure client satisfaction, I, th- I think that works. That's very interesting. No one gives them work because that's interesting. How would you not they, know they that? They take too long. They take too long. I mean, ah, okay. I, I did this in big firm all the time. Like if they worked directly for me, I could you know shush that out really quickly. But if right. they were, say, a technician in something that I wasn't an expert in, mm-hmm. All I know is how many hours I see, 
Mm-hmm. And so if somebody's not respecting the project, i.e. they're they're overbilling and they're not coming to me telling me there's a problem, I'm I'm not happy. Guess who else isn't happy? Mm-hmm. Guess who else isn't happy? Well, it, you'd think the, the client, but the I wouldn't client. bill the client for those hours. I would write them off. Well, okay. So uh, this is an example of how this sort of billable hour infects an entire organization. Yes, exactly. Right? It, you can't because you just... I mean, not billing for time that you worked, whenever that happens, and it happens all the time. Of course it does. People are always eating hours because, oh, I shouldn't bill them for that or it shouldn't have taken me that long. It's like you're you're demonstrating to yourself without seeing it that hourly billing is nuts because the, <laughs> yeah. the deal, it, you're, you're just ignoring it, the deal, right? Yeah. I, like on the fly, and, and the, the funny thing is people don't do it in the reverse. They're like, oh, well, that... That, that would have taken someone else way longer. So I'm going to bill for how long it would have taken someone else because I'm so good. Like you'd never, that's probably no. illegal. So, that but, but you do the reverse all the time. Hourly billers mm-hmm. do the reverse all the time where they eat hours that they think aren't fair or whatever. And it's like, well, look, the deal is these are the hours you worked. If you're going to, if that's the deal, then that's the deal. Well, how come you're eating your hours? Because well, you know, it's not fair. So, well, Okay. It- <laughs> I'm just laughing because my very first mentor when I started in consulting he said and I, I started doing exactly what you said I didn't bill all my time and he said you are the he, he said it nicer than this but basically you're the lowest person on the totem pole we expect you to learn and your billing rate reflects that bill every hour and that didn't mean necessarily to a client we had non-billable codes as well mm-hmm. but track your time because if you don't track it you won't know and so and that's the very first message i got in a big consulting firm so yeah Mm. i'm totally agreeing with with your premise (laughs) that it infects everything including the culture of the organization right right and so the the if you were billing out all those hours to the client the client probably would not be happy and then my thesis holds which is that if the client's always happy then your clients are always happy and if your clients right. are always happy, you're going to be doing great business. The, the question does come up, though. How do you how would you incentivize employees, not contractors? How would you because it's a different mindset. A contractor is a little bit entrepreneurial, you know, freelance or something mm-hmm. like that, where they they do think like an owner more than a, an employee might not. And the question becomes, well, what if what if you had, you know, t- Software developers, a lot of a lot of them work in sprints, They're like two week sprints. And the beginning of the two week period, everybody gets together and they say, like, how much stuff can we complete in the next in the next two weeks? And they pull it onto their plate. They assign all of the tasks and then they go for it. If you could have that meeting every two weeks with your employees and perhaps someone from the representative from the client, and X amount of work needs, and the client would be happy if X amount of features and get built or bugs get fixed in the next two weeks. And your deal with your employees is, as soon as you deliver all of this stuff, you're done for the rest of the two weeks. You're you're off. Mm-hmm. Then they would have a you know. But no, if if you create a bug, I'm calling you on the weekend. You know, you're 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 working until this is done. This this pile of stuff that you agreed to do. So everybody agreed to do this much stuff in the next two weeks and everybody will be happy if that amount of stuff gets done. So the employees are on the hook to do it. And if you create that structure, they will be incentivized to finish as quickly as humanly possible without cutting corners. And that would be, and that would create an incentive where it's like, oh, do you want five days off (laughs) in the next two weeks? You know? Yeah, I do. All right. 
So maybe by the 15th. (laughs) Right. So maybe you've, you do all of a sudden you would start doing things that I first started doing when I switched over to value pricing, when I went solo in 2006, I started looking, I started getting really clever, like, oh, maybe there's a plugin for this already. Maybe there's a repo for this. Maybe I could do this in a, in a, instead of brute forcing my way through, maybe I should take a few minutes and plan out how I'm going to do it. So I don't go down like five dead, uh, five dead ends before I figured out, you know, because I'm just started coding instead of thinking. And all of all of a sudden, you know, who your best employees are because of the ones you never see, (laughs) they're always done, (laughs) right? They're finishing the first three days of the sprint and, and the client is happy. They're happy. You're happy. Everybody's happy. And there's no, there's no billable hour in there. The flip side is if people are always, you know, if they are always pulling too much stuff onto their own plate in the sprint meetings, the planning meetings, and they're working 80 hours for two weeks straight, then there's an incentive for them to get more uh, realistic about how much stuff they can put on their plate in one of these sprint meetings. So they get better at their own estimates. Mm-hmm. In, in an hourly billing world or in a salary world where they're tracking time, there is absolutely no incentive to get better at your estimates. So if, you know, if, if you're in a kind of work where it's important to know roughly how long things are going to take, then it's important to have incentives to make those estimates more accurate. And there's no mechanism in an hourly, uh, in an hourly model, there's no financial incentive to get better at your estimates. In fact, it's the financial incentive is for your estimates to be low, so that you close the deal and then overbill past the original estimated price. Yeah, well, those things, they it makes sense as an approach. I think culturally inside an organization, that's where the challenge comes because you have to have leaders that are comfortable doing this. They have to trust, right? And yeah, and they have to operate differently. And that, that those are hard. Um, but it's worthwhile. If you think about that as an outcome, and you know the, the firm that I created, the first one, we came to something not quite as elegant as that, but it was designed for people who didn't want to work a traditional consulting schedules. So it was you you say yes to the project, it means yes no matter what happens, kind of like your example. So yes, you can work through it really fast and be done, uh, or something happens with the client, but you, you just have to go with the flow. And what that gets people used to is that they have agency. They can decide. And it was a no-fault no. If you said, no, I don't want to do that because I have a vacation coming up and I don't want it impinging on my vacation, okay, we'll call you for the next one. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a different mindset. It's a different way of thinking. But think about the difference if you're the owner of that company, the difference in the loyalty of people, the yeah. sense of teamwork that they get from accomplishing things together, their individual sense of mastery. I mean, there's a whole lot of positive things in in, in the win column for that. Yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, I don't know anyone who does it. <laughs> I don't either. With, right. With actual employees. <laughs> Um, I mean, it is the same model as the the person I mentioned earlier who has the contractors, but the contractors have, you know, I I know in his case, because I know the contractors, like it's, it's from my past life as a FileMaker guy and they're all, you know, they have their own business. They're like soloists also. Uh, but he's, you know, he's, at least at the time he was bringing in a lot of big clients and it was more work than he can handle, but he wanted to say yes. And so he, he kept all of these other people busy, but they had this, they have this, um, they have the, you know, they have that sort of entrepreneurial mindset versus I, f- 
I feel yeah. like it might be you would attract a very unusual kind of employee, I think, in a model like this where where, you know, they would it's almost like would someone I, I don't know. This is a just I, I don't know the answer to this question, but like would do such people exist that would want to be an employee, but then have all of this freedom slash pressure because I've had I've had situ conversations with contractors where I'll say like, look, I just I will pay you. Give me a price. I'll pay you weekly. I don't care how many hours you work as long as this person in the organization is not feeling stressed out. So so we had a, a developer who had too much on her plate and I wanted to bring in someone to kind of take some of the overflow. And I was like, if you work three hours a week, I don't care. As long as our lead developer is not calling me stressed out, uh, gotcha. you can have them, right? And okay. and he was like, I can't. he's like, that wouldn't be fair. What if I, you know, if I only worked, if I only had to work two or three hours in the week? And it's like, I don't care. I'll give you a, I don't remember what it was. Let's say it was three grand a week uh, or a grand a week, whatever it was. And, you know, in my mind, there was probably 10 or I didn't even know. It was like 10 or 20 hours of overflow work. I don't know. Uh, who knows? It could have been two, you know, but, but in the middle of the night or something, you know, like badly placed hour mm -hmm. and uh, he wouldn't do it. You know, he was like, he's like, that doesn't seem fair. And, and he was like, and what if, what if I can't? make the person not stressed out. And I was like, well, I, I, I know the person I'm confident that you could, but if it turns out that that's not true, we'll renegotiate it after a few weeks. But I, I think it'll be fine. And I'm going to check. So, <laughs> so don't worry about being fair to me. And he just wouldn't do it. Yeah. Well, it's and, a little bit like a, too. like a retain an advisory retainer. It's a little yeah, bit exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and so if you have this employee mindset, and and was this somebody who was already working there, or somebody that was from the outside? No, brand. I just met him, brand new. Came recommended through a friend, so I was confident that the work was going to be fine. I wasn't worried about that, but yeah, we they had were going to be met. a contractor or an yes, employee contractor. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because I was going to say, as an employee, I could see where that would feel fraught with risk. Like, I'm going to move from my secure job. And when you figure out how much money I'm making and how little I'm working, you're going to you're going to fire me. Um, but yeah, a contractor, you would think, would would at least entertain it. Well, even when I think back to managing the firm that I was at, when I, you know, had the epiphany that I talk about, where our best developer was probably losing us money and our worst developer was printing money for us. Why that and that and me being like, that's that's messed up. Oh, oh, my God, it's because of hourly billing. So what if if we had if we had found some way to kind of cure or like excise hourly billing out of that out of that business, which I would not have been able to do, I don't think very well. Um, it would have been great like that that key employee under the model that I described earlier would have been working like a couple hours a week, maybe, maybe 10 hours a week. His customers would have been super happy. We would have been able to, you know, it, it would have been great. Like it would have worked. It, it, the transition would have been probably too hard to do. And I didn't, I wouldn't have known any of this stuff back then, but, mm -hmm. but you know, just in, just in theory that if, I could have sold it. I could like if I could take a time machine back, I could have sold that idea. We could have experimented with that at least and seen how it worked out. And no, and just because I'm thinking specific relationships and like employee morale and all of those things, not just the numbers or the the general concept of the incentives, but like it was a tight knit team. And I feel like it would have worked. I feel like people would have went for it. 
some, and guess who wouldn't have went for it? The the worst employees would have not gone, would right. been like, which is the way it should be because <laughs> the good employees are the ones you really want to keep. And the ones who aren't that good are the ones who, you know, they need to put in some extra time, work more hours to get better so that they're working fewer hours. It's like the incentives are all perfectly aligned. Well, I think the other thing here, too, is that um, people in our audience who are not soloists, who have firms, you know, they're, they're generally speaking, they're smaller firms. You're going to have 20 or fewer employees. And the thing is, it's really hard to run a boutique firm with employees. It just is because they can go to a bigger firm, get more money, more benefits. Um, it's hard to compete on price with 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 people with with staff yeah. mm -hmm. and so what do you compete on well you compete on the working conditions so you don't want to have a sweatshop that's not <laughs> going to do you any good and you probably i mean there are some exceptions but you probably want to build a team that's going to stay with you for a while you probably want a way for the employees who wash out to be identified relatively quickly in the process so that you're, you know, you're building a long-term team for the future. You maybe want to groom a person or two to take on your role or to sell your firm to when you decide you want to do something else. Like mm -hmm. it's all of those things. So the more creative that you can get in terms of delivering what these kinds of employees really want, the more likely you are to win the game. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're in, say, a tech field where resources are really, really scarce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love it. If someone listening knows of a firm that operates this way, I would love to love to talk to them. I, I feel like it must be out there. I've heard much weirder business models, much, much weirder <laughs> employee compensation models. So I, it must exist. Uh, but that would, I would love to hear someone that, that, that has direct practical experience of, you know, because I'm sure it's more complicated than, than it sounds. Just because people are people, it's they're always it's always well, complicated. It's the, it's the cultural piece, you know. It's sort of like it makes me think of when I was in B school and we did these group assignments, and you'd always have somebody who was just lazy, or you'd have it was sort of like you could identify all these personality types. You'd have the lazy person, you'd have the procrastinator, mm -hmm. you'd have the one that jumped in and said, "Let's plan this out." That was usually me, <laughs> um, you know, the annoying one. It's yeah, I mean, you have these different kinds of personalities and every organization is unique because every person in them is unique. And when you put them together in different team formations, you get a different kind of dynamic. Mm. So yeah, I think it requires a real comfort level on the part of the leaders of that to be willing to experiment and kind of see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Because it, it is, it's, it's letting go of control in, in many senses. That's, that's what the timesheet culture is. It's very much of a vestige of the command and control model, just, see, in, you know, in consulting. I, yeah, I, I don't, I have a problem with, I, like, it's not, I built timesheet systems. It doesn't control any, you know what I mean? It's an illusion of control. Like, can we agree that it's an illusion of control? Because it makes the leader feel in control. Yeah. And, it's, and it goes very, very deep. Yeah. But you could still be in control measuring something different, which is customer of satisfaction. <laughs> so of like, course you can. You just right. have to you have to change their mindset, which is the hard part. Yes. Yes. I agree. That's so why I use be... that example of corporate America executives like big banks. Like you you will you will come back to work. 
Like, they're not listening to other ways to get this done. There's a few who are, but right. not many. It, that's a, that's a command and control coming out in in that fashion, and it, mm. it runs really deep. Yes, that, that's for sure. That and that's the that's that's like that billable hour. It infects the whole organization. It was like riddled with the billable hour at that you know that yeah. firm and every other firm I've talked to. It's like always in there everywhere. It's like it, like estimates. It, well, I, I'm I'm just on an hourly. <laughs> yes, yeah. well, I'm on a well, tangent. <laughs> but it's I love that the verb infects. Yeah. When we talk about this, because it, it is, it's it's easy to say, oh, a timesheet's just a you know a piece of paper or an entry in a system, but it's much more than that. It, it in a firm, even a firm that maybe just has a half a dozen people, um, it's it's huge. And let me just give you an example. Let's say you have five or six employees, and people are sort of kind of like each other. They sort of do the same things. Well, you gave Joe that project and he so he had a chance to be more billable than I did how come mm. I didn't get that I mean it's like it's like the silliest little things that the time the timesheet concept touches mm-hmm. it at, to use your verb infects everything including relationships with your peers who get jealous of somebody who gets the the primo project not because it's an interesting project or it's a great client but because your billable numbers aren't going to be high enough so you're worried that you're on the chopping block right yeah 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 can you tell i've been there done that (laughs) yeah yeah well let's bring it let's bring it back let's wrap it up uh with with just thinking about bring it back to solace like thinking how to think about their time you know just kind of summarize so it's like do you need to think about your time yes of course it's your cost it's like it's like if you ran a knitting store you need to think about your inventory you need to think about your payroll all of your all of your costs you have to think about your costs of course if you are paying the thing that makes me nervous for people is when they appear to be paying a load of attention to their one and only cost their one or at least by far their biggest cost if you're focusing so much on your biggest cost it's a little bit of a red flag to me that you're not out there thinking about value creation customer satisfaction and all these other things where you can i don't want to say exponentially but you can grow your business in a non-linear way if you just keep focusing on your if you're focusing on your cost cost to the exclusion of other things then, you know, you can only cut costs to zero and whatever money you make, that's it. That's the, you know, so if you make $100,000 in a normal year working a thousand hours and you somehow wave a magic wand and get it down to zero hours, but you're still only making $100,000. It's all profit now. You don't have any cost, but that's the ceiling. Is, is making any, am I not explaining myself? Yeah, well, it's, but. it's very much like um, if you have a job, and you you focus on cutting every expenses, like cutting those daily lattes, right? And mm-hmm. you cut, 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 but you never say, "Oh, maybe I should get a different job." Right? Maybe instead of a hundred thousand, I could get one that's one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's we we focus on what's in the microscope instead of what's in the binoculars. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a good one. Looking through the telescope backwards. So yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like get a bigger pie, like make a bigger pie instead of like yeah cutting the the current one into smaller that's not a great metaphor either but but the idea is if you if you're just overly focused on cost you're probably not as focused on value creation which is in my opinion way more important 
in terms of growing your your top line. Yeah. And then if you grow your top line past a certain relatively low point for a soloist, past a relatively low point, your costs don't matter. Like they, <laughs> they barely matter. The profit and it becomes is comical. just so big. Right. Like I used to, do, when I went solo, I did, I was in the hat, I was, I was addicted to track my time. I had a really f- like system. I was, I was kind of impressed with it. It was fun to do. It was like, oh, I could just, these keyboard commands and I never had to touch the mouse and I did log time, log time, log time. It was extremely efficient. It was kind of fun to do uh, because it was, it was fun to work in a really efficient system. But then after a while, you know, when I say a while, I don't know, maybe 12 or 18 months. I don't know. It might've been less, might've been more. I think it was less. I think it was in the first year. I was like, why am I doing this? Like, it doesn't make any, <laughs> it doesn't make one bit of difference. The clients aren't even going to see it. And I'm, make, I'm making, here's the thing. I wasn't making any decisions based on it. It wasn't revealing anything new to me. I knew this project was super profitable. <laughs> it didn't matter, <laughs> I, you know, exactly how many hours I worked. It was like when I wrote, when I wrote, I think my first book, I tracked my time. So it was, that was in the same time period. So I was probably just tracking time for everything work related. And I remember it was like about 200 hours. So, you know, and that's useful to know in the future. Like maybe it takes 200 hours, you know, soup to nuts to write a book. That's sort of good to know, but you know, obsessing over every 15 minute increment, 365 days a year, or at least, you know, business days, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it feels it's like no a, way to live. It just feels like the wrong focus. It just doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's like, like counting the pennies instead of building the dollars. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. of course, the, of course, that's going to be my opinion. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> no, nobody who's listened to a few episodes would doubt otherwise. <laughs> right. But, it, but yeah, I mean, I really do. I, here's how I think about it it's the time, I said it at the beginning, it's your one non renewable resource. So it's not just. Uh, oh, how are you spending your time? But what's the happiness factor around that? And to me, those are the two values of not tracking your time, but thinking about your time is how can I leverage my time to get more of whatever it is that I want? And then how can I make the hours that I'm spending on work happier? Mm -hmm. How can I just enjoy this more? Because that's the freedom that we get as soloists is we get to create our own reality. And why not make it a good one? Right. Yeah. You get to that stage where you start thinking about opportunity costs because you have, there's like, oh, I could do this or that. I'm not desperate for every lead that comes over the trance. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, now I have to choose between two good options. <laughs> Which one should I choose? <laughs> well, how about the one that makes me happier? Yeah. 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 Happiness is definitely uh, underrated. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just chuckling happiness. because... Yeah, I, I just, I, I heard from someone I hadn't heard from in a long time. Uh, it, it Well, actually, two different parties in the same kind of time span. And one I had loved working with. And the other was challenge after challenge after challenge. And it was so easy on how I responded to each of them. Mm. <laughs> you know, time imagine. is, you know, I, I want to really enjoy my time and make an impact with it. Exactly. All right. Well, if folks... If- if you have any follow-up questions or you want to argue uh, with me or Rochelle, you know how to get in touch. But yeah, I think that's it for this week. Anything awesome. else? No. All right, folks. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>